0: The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Three massive points at the Luge over our biggest rival, but nothing to show for a tough night at the San Siro versus Inter. It's highs and lows this week, tearing the fan base into two completely bipolar sections right now. And it was one crazy week. Let's not waste any more time. Let's dive right in and take a look at this. Let's look at these two results and these two performances. Episode 172 of Mr. Benfica starts right now. Vamos!
1: Uh, it's a really great club, one of the best clubs in the world, and um, so I think I love football. And if you love football, you love Benfica. Oh it- <laughs>
0: I man,
2: fans are just awesome. So Mr. Benfica is saying that uh, he's supposed to be working, but instead he's, uh, he's uh, watching uh, Benfica. Um, I won't tell your boss. I don't know who he is. You know? This is just what we wanted, going into an international break. We wanted to bring his TASA, and the support we had here today was top. There's no comparison to this atmosphere. And there is a poor one from Zipayos. Oh, it's a great chance here for
0: What's up, Benfica nation? Welcome to another episode of Mr. Benfica. I'm your host, as always, the Mr. Mike Agustinho. And well, I had one heck of a time for the Clásico. How about you guys? Listen, I know it's been an up and down week because our uh, elation, if you will, um, was very much shot down. After the Champions League match on Tuesday, but uh, have a listen to to what it sounded like for me on Friday. I was at the Casa do Benfica, or I should say at Sport Newark Benfica in Newark, New Jersey, watching it with about a hundred of my newest friends. And uh, here's what it sounded like after the Di Maria goal at the Casa do Benfica. You probably can pick out my voice out of that crowd as I was holding the phone as I was recording that, so I was the loudest, but uh yeah, we were celebrating uh, we were celebrating the goal. we celebrated the win. It was a great experience to watch a match live at the casa. I don't usually like watching matches with people. Uh, I'm gonna be honest with you, I like to to watch either alone or with one two people at the most. Because I don't like talking during the match, I don't like distraction. I really like to key in and focus on what I'm watching. But um, I've always wanted to watch a Benfica match at uh, out at a casa at one of the casas. I had never been to a casa before, uh, and then last week, around Monday, some point, uh, I got a, a message in in my DM, or I was tagged in a, in a in a tweet, perhaps. My friend Tiago from the Visão Vermelha podcast. Um, who cover Benfica in Portuguese one of the really really well done and well run podcasts and and YouTube channels out there uh he he mentioned me and a few others and said he was going to be in New York uh visiting and would like to know where he can watch Benfica and you know after a few suggestions of of uh Sport Newark e Benfica as it's officially called as Many of us call it a Casa do Benfica, the Newark. Same thing, it's Filial 21. Um, we, you know, he said, why I'd love to watch with with some people and start got me to thinking. And when it, you know, I, I, I ended up, uh, making it happen. I ended up, I should have checked the weather though. I do have to say, I should have looked at a weather report, but anyhow, it was all worth it. I, um, I managed to get down there about 10-15 minutes before kickoff. I managed to get there. It was a long drive, longer than it should be, as usual. Uh, I took about five hours plus. You can see the whole thing, by the way, as I vlogged on it. I, cover, I uh, recorded a whole bunch of video, and I put it together into a vlog, and it is now up on my YouTube channel, uh, which is currently unnamed. I'm... Um, not sure what I'm gonna I'm gonna rename the the YouTube channel, but I'm not sure what I'm gonna call it yet, um, so that it encompasses all of my projects. So right now the channel is just my name, Micah Uh Maybe maybe I'll keep it that way. I don't know yet. But anyhow, if you go into into YouTube and put Casa do Benfica Newark or Casa Benfica Newark, it, it should pop up. But I've got the link in the show notes. So go into the show notes and click on the link. Watch it's a short twelve minutes or so. Um, vlog of uh our experiences watching the match there and uh it was, it was a great time and like I said Tiago was there from Vison vermelha got to meet him got to hang out with him share a Bifana uh share a couple Superbox it was it was a good time and of course Benfica getting the win makes it even better. Um but yeah I drove through some incredibly horrible weather. Uh I had no idea New York City was f- had massive flooding going on either. Uh, I did go around it, but there was flooding everywhere in that general area. I mean, there was one point I thought my, my little Honda Civic was going to get swept off the road by the running water, but I uh, persevered, made it through, got to the casa, watched the match, got home. Uh, got home late, but got home and was was at work on time the next morning at 4 o'clock in the morning. So uh, it was all in a good day's Beifi uh, Kijmu, you know. What an experience! Go ahead and watch it. Thank you to to the, the casa. Thank you to everyone in Newark. Uh, very hospitable. It was a great atmosphere. Like I said, the Befunish were were top notch. They were killer, and um, I, I had a great great time. And thank you Benfica for getting the win. By the way. <laughs> while while I'm on the thank yous, all right, uh, it was just a a big victory. Of course, we get crashed right back to earth on Tuesday against Inter Milan. I'm going to talk about both of those games in this episode. Okay, I'm going to try to unpack them a, a bit and try to make some sense of things. Uh, I see a lot of fans either really hot or really cold right now. Some of some fans think, you know, we're not going to win anything this season. Some fans have already predicted that and with every errant pass <laughs> made by Alexander Ba, they they feel that their their hypothesis is coming true while other fans think everything is all right. I think it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, there's work to be done, and no doubt the team is far from at its best, but it also is a long way from being any kind of crisis, any kind of disaster. Yes, I wish the performances were better, but um, looking at where we are right now, I am I'm okay with it, and uh, I'll get into that. But, yeah, in in the Champions League, it doesn't look as promising, of course. Zero points from two matches. But I also think to some extent we have gotten a little bit of a false sense of where we are over the last two seasons, being able to get some upsets and really knock off some giants to not just advance but last year win the group as well. And, well, we just don't have the same team right now, okay? We don't have Enzo Fernandez. We don't have Gonzalo Guedes. We don't have Grimaldo, okay? We we're missing some pieces, and, and the team is evolving. The team is growing. The team is a long way from what it's going to look like as a finished product. So s- sometimes there needs to be patience, and I know I hear it all the time that at Benfica, there's no such thing as patience, but I don't think that's the right approach either because I think we've proven in the past that you can be patient and still get results, okay, and the performances can come at, as, you, as you get those results. And uh, I'm not overly concerned about where the team is right now. I think the best news is we've got ourselves a goalkeeper. I'll talk about that. I don't think there's any doubt anymore. We've got ourselves a goalkeeper. And uh, he was fantastic at the San Siro. And he was good against Porto as well. We've got, we've got an issue at Stryker right now. But um, again, people need to realize that throughout Roger Schmidt's career... He has almost... Last season was really the only time he really relied on a striker to get the goals. Okay? The striker in his system is somebody who has other jobs and it's other tools that that he values in a striker, at least that his system needs in a striker. And I do think that we're going to see Gonçalo Guedes fall into that role, not so much to be an out-and-out striker to score. Everybody keeps talking about goals from their striker. We need... To realize, I mean, he's been the manager for over a year now. We're going on 15 months. We need to realize that he doesn't see the game the way we're used to. It's still, for some reason, people are having a hard time understanding. They want him to make changes to be like a Portuguese manager. He is not a Portuguese manager. Listen, I'm not on board with everything either. But I understand that, one, he has access to information and data that we do not. Okay. He makes decisions based on data. He is German. He is calculated. He's not emotional. Okay. This idea that he has, you know, emotional reasons for for example, keeping Di Maria in, I don't I don't believe that. I believe there is a plan made and he's following it. And maybe maybe to a fault. And maybe that, that is a fair criticism on him that he does not adapt quickly. And he believes so much in his system that he sticks with it. Well, We'll see how this plays out over, you know. Well, we got one more match until the international break, and then um, we'll see how we come back. But we we do need to stop talking about this team like they're being managed by Jorge Azuz or like they're being managed by by Rui Vitória or by any other Portuguese coach. Okay, we, this guy does not coach that way, and you know what? For all the noise there is on the outside, I have never felt more confident that in the locker room this team is 100% focused and this team is not listening to the noise. I think there is a very good vibe in that locker room right now, and I think they'll come back from this loss better. And, well, the Champions League is always going to be tough to get out of the group stage, okay? Especially when you've got a very even group like we do this season. You've got one of the best four teams in Europe in Inter Milan. People don't want to accept that they st- they still see Benfica in that l- at that level. Look at the the payroll. Look at the disparity in the payroll. Look at the disparity in the player values. Okay, Benfica have played above their weight the last two seasons. Right now they're playing at their weight. Okay, they got upset by by Salzburg. I get it, but we we it was one of those nights we caught a goalkeeper that saved everything. Didn't even play all that bad. And then, you know, we started decently again in this most recent match against Inter. But most of the teams that take on Inter this season are going to lose. I think they're going to end up, when it's all said and done, walking away with the Serie A title. I know a lot of people, Portuguese people, don't think the Serie A is is all that much better than the Togo, the And I have to tell you, you are badly deceived. You are sorely deceived. Okay? Um... There's a world of difference between the Serie A and the Tugo. Um The Tugao is a four-team league. The Serie A is not. Okay, do not get mistaken by that that preconception that people have about it. I've been I, I said this last season when everyone thought that Benfica was going to walk through Inter and everyone thought that Sporting was going to walk through Juventus and both of them were going to be in the in their respective semifinals, guys. We're not playing we're not playing Guimarães here. We're not playing Casapia here, okay? These teams are at a much higher level. And yes, Roger, you know, I think made some mistakes in this match. But I, I will try when we get to that match to explain where I think he was thinking and where those thoughts may have come from. But you have to keep in mind, we're talking about Inter Milan, a team that, yeah, they lost to Sassuolo and people started, you know, thinking that uh, if Sassuolo can beat them, you know, we're definitely going to beat them. Well, guess what? Sassuolo has beaten other good teams as well this season already. Uh, again, Sassuolo is no Vittoria guimaraes They're no Arroca. They're not like that. Just because they they you find them in those spots in the table in the serie, a. no, no, they are not. They are much much higher level than that. A much stronger level than that. They have inter, you know, they have Italian team internationals on their on their roster. This is um, this is a very top Inter team, and, and if the draw is is just fair you know or if the draw is just not you know heavily against them I think it's very probable Inter Milan will be in the Champions League final again this season but we'll get to that when we get to that up first of course is is uh the Porto match we're going to talk about that in a minute but before we do that I have to send a big shout out and a big congratulations To the fellas at Benfica Podcast, the OGs, Alfredo, Cristiano, Dave, congratulations on episode 500. You guys started all this without Benfica Podcast. There'd be no Mr. Benfica. There would be probably no Benfica FM. There'd be no podcasts. There may not be many podcasts covering Benfica at all. And to be honest, I'll be honest with you, without Benfica Podcast. Our rivals don't have English language podcasts either, in my opinion. There's no, without Benfica podcast and and you know, in, in that idea getting put out there, there's probably no All Things Alvalade and there's probably no FC Porto podcast in English. Uh, two very good podcasts of, of fans just like us, uh, just supporting a different team and supporting their team and, and covering their team the way we all cover Benfica on this side uh of the rivalries but uh again uh to the true OGs, the starters of this whole movement, Alfredo Cristiano, Dave, Steve before him, congratulations guys. Five hundred episodes is friggin' impressive. And um well I, I hope to be like you guys someday. I hope to have regular recorded regularly recorded schedule. Uh I hope to come out, you know, once a week. And not fall way behind like I do. Um, Very, very impressed how they keep a schedule, how they make it happen. Um, And again, their content is top notch, has been for many, many years. Congratulations, guys, from all of us in Benfica Nation. Is um, all very, very happy that you guys started this thing. Thank you. All right, let's take a quick little break. Okay, and on the other side, We'll hear from uh, we'll hear from Roger Schmidt's post game comments after the one nil victory over Porto here on Mister Benfica. I'm the Mister Mike Agustinho. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Agustinho. That's at M I K E A G O S T I N H O. Okay, and check out www.mrbenfica.com. You can watch my vlog there if you want. You can watch the video there. I'll be right back.
1: Of so this result to to Benfica. Yeah, the most important thing is that we won, so I think it was a very important match for us, Uh, direct duels in Portuguese league are very important, Um, it was a special game, I think, um, with the early red card after, I don't know, 20-25 minutes uh, probably. I think first half, I think it was not 100% satisfied because I think um, the intensity and the, the speed of the game was not like we normally have in our, in our um, game. After halftime, I think we talked about a few things in halftime and uh, then it was a different game. So we played with more uh, movement, with more intensity, with more chain reactions and we put them under pressure of course you always have to take care if it is zero, zero, even they are with 10 men you have to take care of counter-attacks of long balls, set pieces, these things so they are still dangerous but I think uh, yeah, my team did it uh, very well, so very concentrated very disciplined and um, yeah, we, we created chances and we had also the patience today to wait for the right moment and then we scored and um, defended very well uh, um, afterwards and so we deserved to win and it was very important for us ring Mrs Smith with all venture para a RTP3 I describe the João Alves exhibition I think I don't have to describe I think he, uh, everybody sees um, how much um, happiness he has to to play football um, I think he's developing very very fast so um, he's now for half year part of the first team, um, but every my almost every day he's developing. He's doing things better. He's taking a lot of responsibility. Um, he has everything what you need. So um, he's not the tallest one, but nevertheless, like you like we saw today, almost he won all the all the duels also in the air, in the air. Um, very good with the ball, intelligent, um, tactical wise. Um, and also very disciplined and, and motivated to, to work hard in the central midfield. So I think he's a very complete player. And I'm very happy that he's part of, of uh, part of us.
0: So there you hear from the manager, from Roger Schmidt. And, well, I think uh, his, his uh, analysis is quite good um, of what happened. I think he's pretty accurate there. The match was difficult, obviously. Playing against 10 men is not always easy, as people think it is. And in fact, I think, as crazy as this sounds, I think going down to 10 almost played better into Porto's game plan than it it did into ours, obviously. We were going to look for space to try to play through, try to get... Our guys in, of course, Roger comes out with a lineup that I had said was not going to happen. I had gone on Nino's show last week, on Nino Torres's show, on YouTube and said, no way all three of those guys, meaning Di Maria, Nerish, and Rafa, were all going to start together. And especially not in this match. And Roger goes and does precisely that. Um, I think he, in these matches, he, I think he's realized that these are not just matches for... Another three points, the way he probably originally thought of them. I think he's he's figuring that out now, and I think that he's he's almost overthinking these Porto matches a little bit because he did the same thing in the Super Cup where he tried to came out with a false a false nine, and um, in that one and it didn't quite work. But it's funny when he gets it wrong at the start, he seems to make good adjustments. When he gets it right at the start, his adjustments sometimes. Uh, are not quite as as uh, successful, dare I say? But I think that at the end of the day, when you play Porto, okay, it's about the three points. These matches rarely uh, are well played. You know, classics. I know Nino had a pre-match show on. I didn't get to see it till after the fact because I was driving to New Jersey. But he had like Zach Lowry on, and he had I forget who else on. And they were thinking of a 3-2 match, and I just I don't ever see that in a Porto-Benfica, or Benfica-Porto in this case. Um, these matches are always tight. The two teams cancel each other out, uh, especially because Porto are hard to break down. No matter what their roster looks like, no matter where they are in the table, no matter what their form looks like, when Porto takes the pitch to play Benfica, they are hard to break down. They have a belief that is so hard to to knock, that is so hard to shake. And they come in so well prepared for these matches. They'll do what it takes by any means necessary. Val tudo, as we say in Portuguese. Val tudo for them. Okay, And too many times we come in and it's just another match. And it's just another three points. And I think in the large scheme of things... That's probably true, and you can win the league many times without winning the season duel with Porto. However, I do think this season is going to be different. I don't think that either Benfica or Porto are going to drop a lot of points outside of the big four, outside of the matches with the big four. Making these matches that much more intense and making uh, the points that much more weighted And as we know, only the champion is going to go directly to the new version of the Champions League next season in the Swiss model. The team that comes in second is going to have to have an early preseason. There is more on the line in this season's Liga Portugal bet click than there has been in any Liga Portugal maybe ever, dare I say. With changes coming down the road, this may be the last chance to out-earn your rivals. Okay. It There's so much riding on this title. So this match was so important. And the, the nervousness showed. Okay, It's not the Benfica that we used to see that came out all intimidated. They were nervous, though. They weren't intimidated. I don't think they were afraid of Porto, so to speak. But they were nervous. And they were risk-adverse, especially when they went up a man. All of a sudden, you think they're going to throw some some bodies forward and try to get into open areas and overload porto's you know weak side but no they kind of got even more safe um the ball moved very very slowly in the first half and if you watch the video you'll see my initial reaction was that this was a terrible match and i don't think it was very good to watch uh it was tense and nerve wracking because it was Benfica and because it was Porto, and because it is an abs- it is the definition of a six pointer. But from minute one to minute 96, whatever this match ended up going, at no point was this a really well played football match. It was a lot of stopping, a lot of time wasting, a lot of fouls, a lot. Uh, the referee had a very difficult job. I know he's getting absolutely massacred. By by the Porto fans, I don't think he did all that bad. Uh, we'll get to his calls when when they come up in the in the timeline of the match. But it, it was just a match filled with tension, filled with pressure, and of course we we're fortunate that we caught Porto on, at a time when neither of their center backs were were available. But you know what? I think they've got two new center backs. I'm going to be honest with you. I think that what you're seeing is going to evolve into what their pairing is going to be. It's going to be down the stretch, Carmu and it's going to be Fabio Cardozo. I think. I don't think you're going to see much of Pep and Marcano, even when they're healthy. Because I think they realize they need to move on from that. But this was always going to be a match that was going to be difficult to get the goals. We're facing one of the best goalkeepers in Europe. And he played very, very well in this match. And we all know Benfica's struggles when they face a back three or a central three. A center three in the back line. Porto quickly went into that, into that shape. And cut out a lot of our, our feeds. A lot of our balls. And um, made life difficult for a team up a man. But let's get to it then let's look at the lineups okay We are at the Stadio de Luge of course, in front of a packed house of sixty two thousand two hundred and forty seven as you know, Juan Piñedo is the referee Artur Suarez is, is in the VAR booth. I was very nervous about that but apparently um, you know he uh he did his job. I, he even called Juan Piñedo to the monitor once. And João Pinheiro stuck with his decision. I can live with that when that happens. When the referee goes over, looks, and still believes that he made the right call, at least he took a look at it. That's how I That's how I look at these things. Uh, that's what I ask. Okay, lineups. Starting with Sergio Conceição's Football Club do Porto. Diogo Costa, as we said, one of the top goalkeepers um, in Europe between the sticks for Porto. He starts with the back four with João Mario. Uh, Fabio Cardozo, David Carmo, and Wendell across the back. Four in midfield. Oztakiu and Varela are the, the two in the middle, the double pivot there. Homario Baro, for me, gets a surprising start on the right. And Wanderson Galenu on the left. Up front is a strike pairing of Pepe and the Persian pool diver himself. Mehdi Taremi Uh those are the 11 for our rivals. Roger Schmidt goes with his uh, well uh, his well rehearsed, if you will, 4 2 3 1. This is how we play. That's how we've played virtually every match in the Roger uh, Schmidt era. Trubin is the starting goalkeeper. Uh, Alexander Ba on the right. Mindy and Antonio Silva in the center. Auschnitz, once again, the left back. Uh, you know, the emergency left back, if you will, as he's chosen over Udasek in this one. Udasek was available, but Aushin is selected. Double pivot in this in midfield for this one. And I might spend a minute here talking about this. It is Kokshu and it is Zhonevich. And Kokshu and Zhonevich were both very good in this match. But this match was screaming, screaming for Florentino Luiz. Especially in that first half, especially when we went up a man. There was a huge, huge gaping hole down the center. What we needed was, and that was a real octopus in there like Florentino is. But Schmidt opts for the super-informed Zhonevich instead. And I get it when Joanevvs is on this kind of form. It, it, this that's a very, very difficult decision because on one hand, your most informed player may very well be the 19 the newly turned 19 year old Je Johnny Snows. However, this match is screaming. Situation is screaming for a player with Florentine Luigi's skill set, Roger Ops, to keep the double pivot as it has been. In front of them, this is where the big surprise comes. Di Maria on the right, Rafa in the number 10, and David Nerg, David Nerg on the left. Um, I was sh- I was surprised by this. Maybe Rodgers just trying to, to shock Sergio and give him something he maybe didn't prepare for. I like the effort. I hope he doesn't do it again. <laughs> I hope he doesn't do it. I hope this doesn't become a habit because it leaves far too many weaknesses on the pitch. Uh, it leaves gaping holes, as we saw. But uh, I like the idea of doing it here and trying to catch him off guard. And of course, Petar Musa is the striker. We move into the match now, and it, you know, Porto uh, have the better of the play early on. To be honest with you, Benfica very patient, and I think what Roger Schmidt also instills in these matches what he's figured out is that Porto relies so much on the emotion and on the hustle and on the work rate that if Benfica are smart and they manage the match well Porto will run out of gas and we've now seen that twice in a row we've seen it in 3 of the 4 matches of course Roger is 3 for 4 in matches against Porto you have to give credit where credit is due even if you are a Roger um, a Roger criticizer you have to point at that record against Sergio Conceição and realize that uh, he is figuring out this tie and that he is uh, he is noticing some things. And I think one of those things that he notices is is the way Porto does run out of gas in these matches. Uh, Di Maria and Neresh combine early in the second minute and Di Maria has a left-footed shot from outside of the box, but it goes over. Like I said, then we see... Uh, we see Porto gaining control. We see Porto getting some opportunities. Benfica being patient, sitting back. I think hoping to get to draw Porto out of their end so that Benfica can get one of their patented counterattacks because we're so much more dangerous, especially with that attacking three behind the striker. They're going to want to get into the open spaces, get into the channels and create some havoc. Uh, Galeno gets an opportunity in the 16th minute. Uh, He has a right-footed shot from outside the box, but it is just high, set up by Taremi. In the 17th minute, now. 17th minute, key moment in the match. Okay, it is Kokshu coming down, playing the ball into space, finding. David Nerish, he's on the run. Uh, Fabio Cardozo gets to the ball at just about the same time as Nerish. Okay, and this is where the controversy blows up. Fabio's left foot. Okay, I'm going to talk about this quickly. I don't want to spend too much time on it. It's all been hashed out. Okay, but he gets his left foot on the ball. Yes, he gets all ball. That part is true. Plays the ball right into Netish, however, and that ball then travels directly in the direction of the goal. Okay, it comes off Nedish's foot directly in the direction of the goal. Netish is on his way. What Fabio Cardozo realizes in that moment, and you can't tell me this wasn't on purpose, because he he you can watch all the angles. He knows that Netish is through. He knows the ball has taken an unlucky bounce for him. And he drives his right leg straight up into the air. And he takes down David Neres, who was trying to who is trying to get in. He would have walked in on a breakaway. Textbook definition of a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity. There is no one in the zip code. And you're hearing the pundits, and you're hearing the journalists, and you're hearing the quote-unquote neutrals, as well as the Porto fans saying... That this is not a clear and obvious goal-scoring opportunity. They Some say it's, there isn't even a foul. Some people incorrectly believe that because the first challenge gets the ball, that the player can then follow through with the other leg and do anything he wants. That is not the rules of football. Those are misconceptions. Those are not accurate. And um, this play, okay, it's very important that you understand something here, okay? And if you've gone, if you've become a referee at some point, if you've gone to referee school, okay, if you've taken the courses, these are the type of plays that they bring up, okay? These are the type of plays that they, the examples they give you of how to interpret rules, how to work your way through them, okay? And how it's not always as simple as it seems. Yes, the first challenge is is all ball and is clean. There are there is another challenge that happens and once that ball is through, that second leg, that is a second challenge. There are only two possible outcomes of this play. Okay? And I heard and, and Nino said this on Gold TV and he said he thought it was a yellow. That is not possible. The only two possible outcomes here are it's a foul. And if it's a foul, it can only be a red card. It can't be anything else. This is clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity. You, you cannot stretch it to say that another defender could have closed him down. There was nobody in the zip code. There was nobody. If that's a foul, it's a sending off. It's either a sending off or it is no foul. And I think if he had called no foul, you'd have gone to the monitor and seen that there was a foul. And it would have been a red card. If he had incorrectly shown a yellow card, which he did on a later play, by the way. um, Although I don't think it was as incorrect on the other play. And I'll talk about that on this one. Because of the direction the ball went. Okay, The ball did not bounce off David Nedge and go to the corner. The ball bounced from where he was in the left center channel. It went diagonally right in the direction of the goal. It did not go towards the sideline, it did not go towards the corner flag. It went directly in the direction of the goal. Clear and obvious, he is in on goal if th- this foul does not happen. You cannot give a yellow for this. But had he done that, and he would have gone to the the he would have gone to the monitor and he would have had no choice but to change it to a red. Some people are saying they would have felt better if he had done that. But that would have been incorrect. That would have not been the right call, and it would have been—he would have been marked for that. This play could only have two potential outcomes: it's a foul, and if it's a foul, it's a red card. If it's not a foul, it's not a foul. Those are the only two possible outcomes, at least in my reading of the rules here. But with my old grade eight referee badge, I still have somewhere from when I uh, gave refereeing a go many, many years ago. But this is how I see the rule, and I honestly, there's no way that that can be a yellow. That's there's no way that can be anything other than a no foul, or a red card. And if he had said no foul, I'm pretty sure that there is more than conclusive evidence on the in the on the monitor that would show that there was contact, that he brought David Neresh down. When you are in the air the way he w- was, it does not take any real amount of force to up in somebody and take them down. It was not a dive. It was not a simulation. It was a foul on a clear and obvious goal scoring. Opportunity, Fabio Cardozo sent off correctly by João Pinheiro. Sorry if you don't like it. Yes, I may be biased because uh, because I'm... Benfica, because I'm Mr. Benfica, and I'm watching through red glasses. Guess what? Porto fans are just as biased in their way, in their in their uh, viewpoint, and rightfully so. And neutrals are just as biased. Stop thinking that neutrals are not biased, because neutrals want a good match. They don't want a sending off. They want 11-on-11, 11 11 and they want an exciting match. And this, this completely dampens their hopes for the match as a neutral. And that's why... The majority of the neutrals think that this shouldn't be a red card, not because they're under they're interpreting the rule and not because they're making a honest assessment, but because they are emotionally invested in this being a good match, and emotionally invested in this not you know, this ruins the match for them, and they want it to not be a sending off. Two completely different things. Fabio Cardoso correctly sent off, and I've said before, I don't believe in karma, but I believe in bay fate what he did 2 years ago insulting our club the club that that made him by the way he came through our academy you know spitting on the plate that once fed him um very happy to see him sent off and uh, just in case you're wondering the casa went absolutely nuts especially when we realized it was him so Romario baro is sacrificed for center back zé pedro this is an interesting uh, guy here, Zepedro is a 26-year-old center back on the B-team. I mean, Benfica would, it, it, we don't keep guys past like 21 on our B-team. 21, 22, and we move them on. This guy's 26 years old and still on their B-team. Anyway, he gets his opportunity to play in a Classico here. And, um, well, he's an absolute brute. And he also should have been sent to the showers before the end of the match. We'll get to that later. And for the rest of the first half, in my opinion, very, very slow. Benfica moved the ball very, very slow. I understand what they were trying to do was they were trying to be patient. They were trying to move the ball, force Porto to chase and wear them down some more. Like we said, the plan was for them to run out of gas, as they have, and then to to exploit them. Um, the moment we, they went to 10 men, however, um, they settled in. You, normally, they lose their, their cool They because they play so much. They play so, so influenced by emotion, and and you know many of us call it odd youth, hate, and I I actually agree with that. I think there is hate, not in all of them, but there is an there is an element of that in their motivation. There's no doubt about it, and uh, that's they remind me so much in this sense of Jose Mourinho's Real Madrid teams when they would go play Barcelona, so amped up, so. Fired up, so filled with rage that they want to die on the pitch if necessary that they always had players sent off. interesting that there's one key uh, figure, uh, one key personality that was on both teams and he, he wasn't on the pitch on Friday night, but he's definitely a big part of this the identity of this Porto side. I think you know who it is and that there's there's that link there between those two teams. Uh, David Cardmu goes into the referee's book now in the 34th minute. And, um, okay, here's why this one is different, okay? Um, many of us thought this should have been a red card. At first look, I thought it was a red card as well. I thought they should have gone to nine. It is what it is. I'm sorry. You're, Porto is not going to get any sympathy from me. Uh,. After all these years of all of these advantages they have had, of all the calls that have got, gone their way, I don't feel bad. One, because the player was correctly sent off. And at first look, I thought David Karpu should have been sent off. And no, I don't care that it's 11 on 9. No, I don't care that it ruins the spectacle. This is about three points. This is about winning and beating your rival. These matches are not to be played. They are to be won. OK, and, and I've said we sometimes need a little bit of that Porto mentality in us in these matches so we don't get run over. We need to understand these are different. However, looking at the replay, OK, so jean Pinedo opts for the, the, the yellow. And I think some of that was, was intimidation. Some of that was reluctance to send another Porto player off, knowing what that means for him personally, what that means for his family That his name, you know, is already going to be smeared all over the place. And he doesn't want to make it any worse. He's only human. But looking at the replay, I'm not even convinced that this is a foul at all. I think David Carmo gets the ball here. Call me crazy. But having looked at it, I think he gets the ball and knocks it away. Unlike the first play, okay? So this is where it's different. He knocks it away. He does not knock it into space for Rafa to run onto and to go on a breakaway. karmu's challenge and his touch knocks the ball from the right center channel. Rather than going diagonally on goal as Neresh's ball did, this one's going towards the corner flag. So in my assessment, not a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity. Because in this case, when you, look, when you pan out and you open up... The, the video, you see Zepedru is on his way to potentially be able to make a challenge on Rafa if he were through. So not a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity. So not a red card. And I'm not even convinced it's a foul. However, the rules, in this case, we see a flaw in the VAR rules because I think... Pinedo saw what I'm seeing. I think he saw that there was no foul at all. However, he had called it. And you cannot rescind a yellow card to nothing on a VAR. You cannot rescind a foul on the VAR. The only thing he can he can change is whether or not that yellow is red. So, um, he obviously can't. Seeing, I think, what he saw, He I shouldn't say obviously, but having seen what I think he saw and what I think I saw, he he does not show the red card, and I'm okay with this one. I am okay with this one after having looked at it. Uh, there's the other play in the first half that's also scandalous. See, what also happened here is with all of these wingers on the pitch, with all of these wide attacking players, we ended up in what was a 4-4 four four formation kind of, okay? And because of that, because of that, uh, there was, like I said, a huge gaping hole, just a giant cavity in our in our formation in the center of the pitch. And when I saw that, I am screaming for Florentino to come on because, yes, Navas is on great form. Yes, Cockshoe costs thirty million or whatever, but this match in this moment needed a guy to clog that sp- to take that space to collect that ball. Nobody was there. Porto are able to get into those spaces and get guys forward despite playing down a man. They they they, they try to get some opportunities. They get forward. And they even play Taremi in on a breakaway. And under immense pressure, Taremi goes to try to dribble Trubin. Trubin times his challenge to perfection. To perfection. He gets his left paw on the ball. Okay, And here's why... Sergio Conceição and Nino's assessment is not accurate. Nino said on the broadcast on Goal TV that if if Carmo is sent off for the follow through, uh, that that this should have been a penalty. Here's why it's not a penalty. Okay, why Sergio is wrong, and why it's not a penalty. Okay, there are two re- two main things that make it not a penalty. One, Trubin's right arm that. It's not even his arm; it's his body that catches. It's really his body that catches, like it's his chest and his, like in his armpit, that catches Taremi on the on the slide. Uh, the reason that follow through does not lead a penalty is because it's still in the same motion. He's going down, and with his right arm, he is palming the ball away. Okay, he gets all hand on that ball, and he palms it away. It's a clean challenge. His body has to be somewhere. He, he has the right, one, to protect his face with his right hand. So his arm is allowed to be there. That's the difference. That's one difference. Two, it's still in the, in the motion of challenging for the ball. He does not create another motion and throw his arm up to catch Taremi. That's one. Two, the ball is played in the opposite direction away from goal. Tarimi is no longer in the play to get to the ball. Taremi is no longer... Trubin is no longer between Taremi and the ball the way that Fabio Cardozo was. Okay, And lastly, Taremi is not playing the ball. He is leaving both of his legs there to initiate the contact. All three of those things are why this is not the same and is why this was not a penalty, and to quote Nino... Not in the Luge, not, not in China, not on Jupiter. Is that a penalty? Good try, Sergio. Good try. Um, so there, there's my, my take on the three key referee points. And um, I think the referee got all three of them right. I mean, the one he got wrong, in my opinion, was the Carmo one. And it's that I think it wasn't even a foul. Other than that, I think he got it. He got them all. On point, and, and the only referee, quote-unquote, expert who thinks this was a penalty to nobody's surprise was Jorge Croado. Who always is, you know, he's one of the most corrupt referees there's ever been. So, again, quoting him, you might as well quote Pinto Da Costa on his on his opinion of this. So, again, uh, but if you go with an opportunity now, in the 42nd minute, it is Neresh again. He gets a right-footed shot from the right side of the box. And he shoots just wide after Di Maria uh, crossed it to him, following a following a uh, counter attack. Forty um, fifth plus one, another opportunity. This time it is Auschness with a right footed shot, but it's blocked again. That central defensive three from Porto. We we get just an enormous amount of shots blocked when we face a back five and Porto by the end of the first half is running out of gas and playing in a back 5. Musa gets an opportunity, a uh, header from the right side of the 6-yard box or from the goal area. He puts it just over. Um and at halftime it is nil nil. And at, I'm I was surprised there were no changes at halftime. Again, the change I would have made, you this is going to surprise nobody. Is that I would have brought on Florentino, but here is the change I would have made. Okay. When you're, it, it, when the teams, when the opponent sits in as deep as Porto is going to be sitting in this second half, okay, and you knew that was coming, Rafa as a 10 no longer makes sense. Okay. Rafa needs space to play his game, Rafa needs to get in behind or he needs to get in the gaps. There's no more gaps. Porto are lining up all ten of their players within a small ten-meter area a lot of the time, and there is absolutely no room for Rafa there. The change I would have made was I would have I would have subbed off Rafa here, and I would have subbed on Florentino Luiz, and I would have put Cockshu in Rafa's spot in the number ten behind the striker, with the two wingers to his side. That 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 is where he played a Feyenoord. Okay, that's where he played a Feyenoord, and. I don't know why Roger didn't do it, to be honest with you. I don't know why he insisted on Rafa here in the second half. Rafa was completely, um, completely just apagado, shut off. He was just completely taken out of this match, okay? There was no room for him to play. That's the change I would have made. Roger didn't do it. But if he could do come out better in the second half, the ball is moving much quicker, much crisper on the passes, and they are making Porto Chase now. And, um... If you can start getting opportunities, we see good, good uh, connection play, good combination play. Excuse me, especially down the left between Netish and and um, Ausnes. Now Aushnus is not a traditional left back, obviously, and Nedish likes to play more, likes to start his run wider. So they kind of have reverse roles in where. Uh, a lot of times, Auschwitz comes to the inside channel, but they start to switch off. And Porto are having a hard time staying with them. I really liked what I saw from these two in the second half. they were really starting to combine. Bifico starting to get real chances, and Juro Neves is everywhere in this match as well, and uh, as is David Neves, who is just starting to uh, on the dribble, open space, break lines, and create opportunities. In the 57th minute, we get an opportunity off a corner. Uh, It is Nicholas Otamendi with a right-footed shot from the right side of the six-yard box. It's close, but it misses just to the near post. He was set up by Edge on a cross following a short corner. And Benfica knocking at Porto's door now. Um, Joanevge does go in the book at the 59th minute, uh, but he continues to push. Nedish has a shot blocked in the sixty second in the center of the in the center of the box. Again, it just seems to be the story when we face these teams. And part of that is because nobody shoots from distance. Nobody shoots from outside to pull this back line out a little bit. And of course, it's hard to beat Diogo Costa from distance. Uh, but if you could continue to push on in the 65th minute, Angel Di Maria has an opportunity. Right footed shot from the right side of the box, but again blocked. He's set up by Ba on that one. That time the two players on the right combined. Uh, We get a substitution in the 67th. And I was hoping this was going to be the real arrival of Arthur Cabral to Benfica. But another disappointing performance from the former Fiorentina man. Um, He comes into this one. Uh, Musa is replaced. But within a minute of getting on the pitch if, you, if you're if you keeping track of, of plus minus the way they do in ice hockey Arthur Cabral gets a plus to his name not that he had anything to do with it but in the 68th minute well have a listen I was
2: praying, wishing, demanding for this uh, front court attack from Efica but uh, they're not connecting tonight huh? doesn't mean that they will not connect ever that is with a cross, angelito. first minute in the Super Cup. 67 minutes here tonight at Lisbon. Uh, he is the hero for now in Lisbon. It is 1-0 for
0: Benfica. And by now you all know that voice. That is Goal TV's Nino Torres. And he calls the goal there. The Angel of Rosario. Angel Di Maria with the goal. Uh, it was Kind of a a strange play. It was was a good again, it was it was and Nedish combining down the left. Nedish puts in a good cross. It finds its way to Di Maria. He hits it. It takes a deflection off a off a Porto player. Pops up and over Diogo Costa into the goal. Setting the luge ablaze. I mean the place erupted. Setting the Casa do Benfica ablaze. I mean it erupted. Went crazy. You heard uh, my my soundbite from that at the top of the episode. Absolutely pandemonium as Benfica take the lead in the 68th minute, and uh, Porto I think got a little deflated from this goal. Uh, I think at this point they were looking to, to salvage the draw or keep it nil nil as long as they could and try to you know sneak one late like they've done in the past. Uh, this was massive this goal was massive um, and at this point I haven't really touched on it but Benfica's not playing well in this match I have to say they were not playing well here um, other than in this I shouldn't say they weren't playing well they they were not good in the first half at all in my opinion they were they were better in the second half and I thought maybe the 23 minutes leading into this goal were were good. Befica immediately, as we've seen them too many times, take their foot off the gas here after this goal. And um, in my opinion, really didn't go for a second. They didn't really go to try to win this ma- or to, to put this match away. Befica, I think, has a little bit of a confidence issue when it comes to playing Porto. And I think they're also conditioned by, you know, the Boavista match, by last season's Chaves match. Um, and they're. They're extra cautious not to concede. And what ends up happening is they become more vulnerable because they're playing with such nerves. And again, we don't see Florentino Luigi with the lead. That should have been automatic, Roger. That should have been automatic. (sighs) Again, take off Rafa. Bring on Florentino. Put cockshoe behind the striker where he normally plays and where I think at some point we have to get him back to playing. Or we got to... I mean... Uh you don't know if you don't try it. And well, I guess we're gonna have to wait till Rafa's either not on form or picks up a knock and misses a match before we give that a try, I guess. Or a Joel Madi really would have made sense to come into the match here to to settle the game down, to hold the ball, make few mistakes, because that's what we need. Because one thing Befica did poorly in this match, they missed so many easy short distance passes. Uh, compared to normal. Porto, however, are gassed, and they're trying to go forward. And We're going to fast forward to the 80th, where Sergio finally rolls the dice and goes for the draw here. He brings on his little boy. He brings on his his little guy, Chico Conceição, uh, comes into the match, who came running home to daddy from Ajax because, well, I guess... um, Where theatrics are not appreciated and you got to earn your way footballing, Chico Conceição fell short in Ajax. Uh, He replaces Pepe while uh, Gonzalo Borges replaces Wendell. Two wide players coming in looking to make the difference. Um, I don't know how long did it take. In the 82nd minute, this is where we should have seen a second sending off as Zepidru completely takes out Joanev, steps on his ankle, could have done serious, serious damage. Artur Suarez on this one does not send Jean Pinheiro to the VAR monitor. Now, I talked about the Cardamu one. I think I failed to mention when we were talking about why that was a yellow and not a red. I did mention it, but... Uh, Jean Pinedo went to the monitor that time looked at it and opted not to obviously not to give the red and I and I gave my reasons why I think he made that decision here this should have gone to the monitor this should have gone to var um, especially with the standard that has been set in this league if we never saw these this exact challenge uh produce a sending off like for example in the Premier League you never see that there that'd be one thing. In the Togo, we see it all the time. Yet, uh, this one's not reviewed, and Zepedro gets to stay on. Uh, this is a bad moment from João Pinedo and a bad moment from Artur Suarez-Diaz in the VAR booth. Um, so he gets to stay on. And then Sergio makes another substitution in the 84th. He takes off one of the double pivot and brings on an attacking midfielder. It's Iban Jaime. The summer transfer from Gil Vicente, replacing the man who came from Boca Juniors, who, as I watch right now, are playing against Palmeiras in the Copa Libertadores semifinal. Uh, he, Ivan Jaime replaces Varela. And um, I don't understand why Jaime doesn't play more. I really don't. Um, but I'm glad he didn't. Uh, and Porto, you know, trying to get it going. But Befica are controlling the match for the most part especially in this phase. They do have a few close calls, but in the 86th, it's a double substitution from Roger Schmidt. Jerome Mario replaces Angel Di Maria to an ovation, and David Yurasek replaces David Nersh. Not sure how I felt about this one either because now Roger goes from having three wingers to having no wingers. Uh, Rafa, interestingly, still on the pitch here, but he takes off Uh, Nersh, who was having, you know, the... He was the best player on the park on the night, I think, in my opinion. If it wasn't Neresh, it was Nevish. Those two, uh, only one letter difference in their name, and they were basically 1-1-A one one in this match for Benfica. But Benfica see it out. A few nerve-wracking moments down the end. Chico Conceição gets a yellow in the 90th plus 5 for an idiotic forearm to the chin of Nicolas Otamendi, I said in the video. I was about to say that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree between Sergio and Chico Conceição. However... The apple doesn't even fall off the tree. This is a total just bobo move from uh, from Chico Conceição. Uh, no reason to do that. Rafa finally is subbed off in the 90th plus seven. On comes Casper Cap- Tankstadt. So again, no Florentino. Not not understanding, but I guess Roger is trying to rotate who gets to come in. I don't know. Um, it is what it is, Mister. <laughs> To quote Nelson Vericio there, it is what it is. But if you go win, there's little you can complain about. Am I happy with the performance? No. I thought it should have been a lot better. But I'm ecstatic with the three points. And really, that's all that matters at this stage. Um, in this match. Now, we got the match coming up with the Shreel this weekend. And then an international break. And then we got to start playing better when we come back from the international break. It's the way I look at it. I think that... That the break may give them the chance to rejuvenate. I know a whole bunch of them are going to go play for the national teams. Why do we have so many damn international breaks? It just keeps breaking up the season. I don't like it. And then we come back and we have a Tassa match in the Azores against Lusitania. I announced that on uh, on Liga 3G English last week when I when I read off the draw for the third round of the Portuguese Cup. So. There's plenty of time for Benfica's, you know, guys that have logged a lot of minutes to kind of uh, get a little R and R in and hopefully come back strong after the break. But before that, we do have to concentrate on this match coming up this weekend against Istriel. Uh, this one finishes 1-0, as you know, Benfica with the win. I'm not gonna go through player ratings. I I've already, you know, discussed that. Um, in the interest of time, because this episode's already going a little longer, we still got to talk about the intermatch possession. The, the edge goes to Benfica sixty-four to thirty-six percent expected goals. Benfica one point three one expected goals to Porto's zero point two eight. Porto don't really have much of a complaint here. Uh, total shots: Benfica sixteen, uh, Porto seven. Again, they don't for me don't have much of a complaint on the sending off either. I think they were lucky to only lose one player in this one. Uh, Accurate passes Befica had 437 accurate passes For an 87% uh, efficiency rate Porto 203 connected passes For 71% And imagine if they didn't miss All of those easy ones Alright So again Befica with the win uh, 1-0 And they lead just about all the statistical uh, Categories And of course they do They were up a man for an eternity in this match Uh, Let's take a look then at the other results in the league this round, round number seven to be exact, started on Thursday, September the 28th. In uh, in Amadora, it was Strela 2, Braga 4, and this one was played in front of 3,630 fans at the Stadio Jose Gomes, also known as the in, uh in Amadora. Braga keeping pace, almost catching up with the rest of the... And I will call them the big four. There's no nothing wrong with calling it the big four. But I got definitely, when you're playing in the Champions League, you deserve to be in that conversation. And I will put them there. And anyone who disagrees has the right to disagree. But so do I. <laughs> and I will disagree. Braga for me in the top four. Uh, as we know, Befica, 1-0 winners over Porto on the Friday night match. And then Saturday, up north, Vizela... Lose at home to Portimonense. And Portimonense on a little bit of a roll here, uh, picking up I think two wins in their last three. They win three to two on this one, and this match was played in front of two thousand seven hundred and twelve. I think it was about a fifty percent occupancy rate. Not good for Vizela, who normally have a very good occupancy rate at the at the Bessa, it is Boavista, one of the sensations in, of the league so far this season, trying to keep pace with the leaders. They were joint leaders going into the match, hosting Famalicão. But it's the visitors who struck first. Jonder Cadiz, he wore a Benfica shirt for a little while. He also wore a Nashville SC shirt in uh, Major League Soccer for a while. Now at Famalicão, he converts a pen in the 12th minute. Miguel Rezinho would level for Boavista in the 44th. And then in the second half, Salvador Agra would put Boavista ahead and he would he would launch a riot almost, taunting the family cone bench, which results in John Der Cadiz and Chiquinho being sent off. Chiquinho was not even on the pitch. He was sent off from the bench. And even then, still not enough as in stoppage time 90 plus 2, family cone rescue a point and break Boavista's heart at the uh, Bessa, this one finishes two to two, played in front of seven thousand eight hundred and nine. A good, a good house, a good crowd, except for the fact that it's only about one third of Boavista's uh, allotment. And um, yeah, it's it's Boavista is a former champion, and uh, while it's it's a good attendance in Portuguese league standards, it's not a good attendance. For uh, Boavista standards, or should not be considered that for Boavista standards. The Stadio São Luís in Faro, in Algarve, has Farès hosting Sporting 6,020 in the house for this one. And the visitors, uh, Sporting, take the lead in the 21st minute on a penalty from Victor Gorquez. He puts Sporting ahead. Then. Uh, Pott would double the lead and 10 minutes later in the 35th. Sparthing would be ahead 2-0. But then the then the comeback would begin in the 37th minute. Matheus scoring for Ferenc. He would double his tally and draw level in the 55th. But in the 90th plus it would be a pen again awarded to Sparthing and again again it would be victor gorkeas who would uh, convert and give the lions all three points sending them top of the table after seven rounds sunday's action a roca 2-0 they suffer a 2-0 defeat excuse me at home to shavs and shavs get a little bit of a of a ju- of a boost here uh, playing under their new manager um if I'm not mistaken, yes, it is uh, Luis Morgado and uh, Chavs quickly uh, picking up some points here and getting it on the road, no less, at Arroca. And it is uh, three points for the uh After a poor start, they're starting to show some life. This one played on, in front of a disappointing 1,765. The attendances at Arroca are consistently disappointing. Vitoria guimaraes 3-2 winners over Estoril at the Don Alphonse Henriques they play in front of 15,101 good by Togo standards but not good by Vitoria Gimenez standards that's that resonates to just over 50% of their capacity and lastly uh two more games in the round it was Riouav beaten soundly at home 4-0 by Moreirense. Do I even dare look up the attendance of that one? They don't even have a stadium; they have a stand, but they have two thousand six hundred ninety-five in that stand. Just shows how poor uh, the attendance is at Oroca. And lastly, on the Monday, it's Gil Vicente versus Casa Pia in front of two thousand seven hundred and two, and it is the it is the Roosters with the victory here. Uh, a goal from Zekar another from Depu. 2-0 to Gil Vicente over Casa Pia. Table now, after seven rounds, and this is up on www.mrbenfica.com if you want to look at the extended uh, league table. Sporting lead with 19 points. Benfica second with 18. Porto third with 16. Boavista fourth right now with 14. And now, only three points out of third place. In fifth is Sporting Club Drago with 13. Also on 13, their menu rival, Vitoria Guimaraes, who this week announced their new manager, Alvaro, sorry, uh, Alvaro Pacheco. uh The Bonnet is back. And um, I'm very intrigued to see how this works. Although, Vitoria Guimaraes on their third manager already in, in week seven. That is... Uh, not something to uh to be too proud of but uh let's see if this is the right the right assignment for them if this is the right guy Fumelico another mean you side in 7th with 12 points another mean you side Morirens in 8th with 10 points Gil Vicente also a mean side in ninth with 9 points same as Casapia, the team they beat this week 8 points for 11th place Portimonense Ferenc... And the Roca are 12th and 13th, respectively, on six points. Vizela, 14th with five. Uh, Strela Amadora, 15th with five. Hiwav, 16th with five. Uh, three teams with five there right now. The relegation playoff spot is very, very early. Uh, still less than a quarter of the way through, but it is Hiwav right now. While Istoril are 17th with four, as is, uh, or 18th place, also on four, I should say, Group Desportive de Chaves. Those are four points they picked up in the last two weeks, so they are trending in the correct direction. Let's look quickly at the Golden Boot Race. The leader right now with five goals. Actually, there are a total of six players with five goals right now. So here they go. Paulinho of Sporting, Ricardo Horta of Braga, Robert Bosnik of boavista Simon Banza of Braga, Angel Di Maria of Benfica, and Victor Gorkes of Sparthing, all with five goals. And then we have four with four. That's Samuel Essendee of Vizela, Tiago Muraj of Bovista, Hector Hernandez of Chavez, and Carlinhos of uh, Portimones all on four goals. Leading the league in assists at the moment is our Rafa with four assists. Uh, David Neresh, the second with three. So our guys are leading the way in the assists category. Uh, the fixture list for the upcoming round: the first match um, by the time you hear this probably has already happened, but it, it is on Friday. It is on October the sixth. It is Moreirense hosting Boavista, and then Saturday, Saturday we have Chaves hosting Gil Vicente, and Ferenc hosting Vizela in the three thirty Portuguese standard time window. Uh, then at 6 p.m. Portuguese time, Braga hosts Rio Ave. Th- and at 8.30 p.m. Portuguese Standard Time, Isturio hosting Benfica Sunday, Casa Pia, and Estrela da Madura in the early one, as, as is another Minho Darby. There are many in this league. It is Family count hosting Vitória Mira, also a 3.30 start. That's Portuguese time. 6 p.m. Portuguese time, Porto hosts Portimones. And at 8.30 p.m., uh, Portuguese time, Sporting hosting Roca. As you know, we go into the international break after that, and when we come back, it is round three of the Tasa de Portugal. So uh, round nine won't be until Friday. It doesn't start till Friday, October the 27th. All right. I'm going to take the last break here and come back and briefly I won't spend too much more of your time briefly go over the match against Inter. You're listening to Mr. Benfica here on the PTV Media Network. Final segment here on episode 172, and it's at the San Siro we go. Benfica taking on Inter Milan last year's finalists. And to be honest, the better team in last year's final, uh, despite having lost to Manchester City last year. The San Siro is the location, Stadio Giuseppe Miazza to be exact. That's the proper name of it. We all call it the San Siro because that's the section of... Or it should say the it's the yeah it's a section of Milan where it is located just outside the, the you know city center. Uh, Danny Mcley is the referee from the Netherlands and he was not very good in this match I have to say but again uh, let's look at the lineups. let's just get right into it. I don't want to take too much more of your time up here as uh, we're right on the verge of another weekend of football. Uh, Inter playing in the 3-5-2 I said in the last segment Um, I say it pretty much every time we see this Benfica has a hard time against this formation Jan Sommer is the goalkeeper uh, having come over from Bayern Munich uh, in the offseason I think he was on loan last year at Bayern but uh, here he is at Inter now replacing Onana who was there last year Benjamin Pavard Francesco Acerbi and Alessandro Bastoni are the three center backs. Uh, the wing backs are, on the left, it is Federico DiMarco. And on the right, of course, it is Denzel Dumfries, uh, two players that had field days against us last season. <laughs> uh, the three in the middle, it's Colin Glue in the center, holding it down as the anchor with... with Nicolo Barella to his right, and Henrik Mkhitaryan to his left behind the two strikers. The captain, Lautaro Martinez, and Marcus Thuram, the young French. He's not that young anymore, actually. He's 26 years old. The son of Lilian Teram. That's why I thought he was young, but no, Marcus Thuram, the French striker. Roger opts to go with no striker in this one. He goes with the false nine. Uh, like he did in the super cup, it didn't work great that day. it started off all right here uh there is a couple changes though trubin starts and trubin, let's be honest, has a man of the match performance for Benfica in this one uh Ba starts at right back Otamendi and Moratu and Moratu of course, replacing the suspended Tony Silva Juan Bernat gets a surprise start at left back and this was a pleasant surprise as uh, I was losing sleep the night before over the thoughts of Oshness trying to defend the likes of Denzel Dumfries and Latoro Martinez and Nicola uh, Barella. But Juan Bernat fit and plays in this one. Double pivot again. No Florentino. Roger, what are you doing? You have to find a way to get my man in there. Everyone else plays better when Florentino is on the pitch. Everyone criticizes Florentino's this and that, his forward pass. But they lack or they omit the fact that everyone else is able to do their job better because they're not worried about that tedious little thing called getting back and defending when Florentino is there. Roger goes with Kokshu and Nevs again. And Kokshu had a, a difficult match in this one. Uh, Rafa, again, not playing well. And, and these are not the matches um, in that position for Rafa to really succeed. Rafa playing in the 10. Aushnes to his left. Di Maria to his right. And netish playing as the false 9. At least on paper. I'm not so sure it played out that way in real life. And the first... And I'm just going to generalize because all uh, well, the show is running long. And it is late at night here. But uh, the first... Half the first good portion of the match, I think Benfica were going tack, tick for tack with Inter. Inter were patient in this one. So Inter allowed Benfica to uh, to have the ball a little bit. I think Inter were looking for their deadly counterattack. And when I say deadly, I mean deadly. They have one heck of a counterattack. Again, Dumfries absolutely sliced us down the, that right flank last season. But they uh, had chances of their own. They they were not bad in this early stage of the match. But as the match went on, of course, Inter were able to take over control. And too many fans, I, I don't want to just harp on fans not knowing what they're talking about, but too many fans fail to understand how good this Inter team is. And uh, the Champions League is this, and you make mistakes, you pay dearly. And Juan Bernat made a mistake here. Is he? It's his first game back. It's harsh, but he gives the ball away, leads to a counter, and uh, Taram scores. But again, there's a clear and obvious foul again from Lautaro Martinez. Commits a clear and obvious foul on Nicolas Otamendi. The Dutch referees having none of it, and um, we just don't get those calls in Europe. As Benfica fall behind. One nil, but it was a night where there were save after save after save from uh, from uh, Anatoly Trubin. This could have easily been four or five nil, but I guess I'm very optimistic, knowing we have a keeper now, and hopefully we don't have to hear it anymore about the keeper position. How everybody's favorite quote that somebody is not or no at eh, jugador pro Benfica. This guy is not a goalie for Benfica, and that's just based solely on their eyes and I say it all the time stop trusting your eyes there's more data to go on there's more things to look at okay there's there's actual productivity that the eyes don't always see and in terms of goalkeeping uh, his ability with his feet that everybody wanted him here for is proving to be very good in in helping if he could get out of out of the press and I I'm telling you I don't know how they would have gotten out of their own end if Bernat was not playing because it, it allow him being there allows Benfica to play out out of the press, you know, to to beat the press and to play down the left side. And then he was combining considering it was his first game he was he was working well with Alshinas. Um this game was nowhere near as bad as I think people are making it out to be. Okay? Benfica made mistakes, and they paid dearly. But they did not play nearly as bad as everyone's saying. Now, the problem is people's expectations have, have gone through the roof because we've had two back-to-back good champions, great, really, Champions League runs. And we've pulled off great results in the last two group stages. So far, in this group stage, we found it more difficult. But this match was always going to be very, very difficult. Also, Befica with no... Uh, no fan no away section uh the club was not allowed to sell tickets to this match because well some idiot threw a flare into a crowd of inter fans last season and uh that is just idiotic and i'm not going to defend it that is stupid uh if you're going to go to matches do not go and create more problems for the club that really that is not how you support a club i don't care how passionate you think you are that's just idiocracy again, but still, a number, quite a lot of Benfica fans found their way to the stadium anyway. Uh, you know, Tony Gutierrez was there, the podcaster. Uh, he he comes on El Mítico Benfica all the time now with Ricardo Catalunya. They cover Benfica in Spanish. He was there. Rita Freites was there. She's always at the game, right? Uh, there was a lot and a lot and a lot of Benfica fans at this match that found their way to Milan for this one. Found their way to the the San Siro, um, and I think BeFica for portions of, for for portions of this match were were, we're good. I mean, they showed they they can play with this team, but this is again a very very good team, and I can't stop saying that this uh, this their payroll, their roster that it, it is phenomenal, especially in comparison to ours. Their means to sign players are just way higher than ours. Okay, uh, We've done very well to build the squad we have on our budget. We now have to formulate it into a more cohesive team and just get firing on all gears a little bit more. But I do believe that's going to come in time. This The center team, though, they're firing on all gears. Uh, they, are, they are ready to make another run, and, and I say this. By far, the best Italian team thus far this season. And one of the best three in Europe, I would say. Along with Manchester City and Bar- And well, Barcelona didn't look so good yesterday. But until yesterday, Barcelona as well. And But by- you can put Bayern Munich in that group as well. Um, it was always going to be a struggle to get a goal. Again, uh, what for me was a clear penalty. Not called. Not reviewed. Um, the English language... You know, commentator on CBS also didn't seem to think it was a a penalty. I think we need to, not we, IFAB and FIFA and UEFA need to get more uniform, uh, more uniform guidelines, more uniform criteria of what is a foul, what isn't, what is a penalty, what is a yellow, what is a red. The fact that it, it from country to country is so different is really. Just frustrating. It's not good for the game. It's not. It doesn't. Basically, the way the rules are written and the way this is being refereed, it is. It is kind of the dry run for the Super League. If you want to, you want my honest opinion. It's like they are protecting the big teams. They are protecting the the big brands, the ones that bring lots of money, and uh, they don't want to. This is all these changes are being done in the interest of the biggest clubs, the wealthiest clubs. Who are afraid of being eliminated in a group stage. And now it's going to be harder and harder to get these clubs out. And it's going to be harder and harder for clubs like ours to advance. Uh, again, next year's... I'm not looking forward to this Champions League. That's going to take me a while to understand how it even works. Um, beyond the basic that there's eight matches in the group stage. Or the regular season. Uh, I think is what they're going to call it. Like in League for basketball. Um, there's eight matches and you're going to play eight different opponents and you're only going to play each team once. I think that the Champions League has something so perfect here with 32 teams, eight groups of four. I don't I know why they're doing it, but I wish they wouldn't is all I'm saying. I wish they would just same with the World Cup expanding it and expand. I wish football would just leave itself alone. It was it does not need these changes. I understand you want to make more money. But you're going to make more money anyway. This The sport was perfect. And people are toying with it. And they're ruining it. Uh, and we got referees that have no business doing Champions League games. I'm not going to talk anymore about referees. I really want to stay out of it. I gave you my analysis uh, in the first segments of the show. About those three crucial uh, calls. And no calls in the Benfica-Porto match. I think uh, my analysis there ex- shows enough that I kind of know what I'm talking about on this one. I may not be 100 percent on point because, well, I again, my my uh, foray into refereeing was a long time ago, and there are you know modifications and whatnot, and there are reinterpretations. But f- I think I have a pretty good understanding of a lot of the rules, and there's just not these referees are not good. And it's showing. It's showing. But maybe he got a little hard done not to get a penalty. And people are angry at Roger Schmidt for saying that. Now, Roger Schmidt said Inter were the just winners. They deserve to win. Yet people are saying he's saying we lost because of a penalty. No, he's saying we should have had a penalty and maybe that would have changed things. And it probably would have. But... Yeah, this the you know, this team is now got the Porto match out of its system, in my opinion. The distraction of that and the pressure of that looming is out of the way, and I think they can concentrate on playing some better football now. And, well, this, this was not a match I planned on getting any points in from the beginning. And, and I'm sorry just because the first one didn't go our way and because we lost at home. Does not make this match suddenly, like in people's mind, it turned something. And they think that suddenly they think they're going to come out and, and, you know, you can it's fair. to When people say they expect at least a point at the San Siro against Inter Milan, that's delusional. Now, we would love a point, yes, but to expect it is delusional. Um, All in all, this was not as bad as everyone wants it to make. That's just my hot take. It may be an an unpopular opinion, but it's my opinion. You're free to disagree. Tell me if you disagree. Feel free to DM me at Mike Agostinho. That's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. I respect As long as you keep it respectful, I'll respect you. If you call me an idiot and you throw a bunch of names in, I'm not going to acknowledge you. Okay, It's that simple. Um, Some people, if you're going to start calling people names, you're going to start calling Roger Schmidt an idiot. And you're going to make references, you know, that just insults that don't need to be there towards anybody. You're not going to get my, you know, I'm not going to respond. But if you're respectful, I'll be happy to hear your criticism of him of my opinion or your criticism of roger schmidt i think i've made a, a handful of criticisms of roger schmidt today in this episode um does that mean that i don't think he's a good manager yes i think he needs to now take that next step to become a greater a better and eventually a great manager um he's got a great opportunity here with this benfica team and with this squad it's not every day you get this deep of a team at benfica and he needs to use it better. I agree. He needs to adjust a little bit more. Um, I'm hopeful that's gonna come with time. It, it It is hard to to change a manager's entire philosophy, his entire outlook uh, that easily. so or that quickly, I should say. Um, we can look at some of the stats in this match See what kind of story they tell Mayfika actually had more of the possession And uh, I think that's by design Inter allowed them to Because Benfica only had a .31xg in this one That's very very low for all that possession Inter with 47% possession 3.81xg That's how good Trubin was in this match 21 total shots from Inter 8 of them on target Seven saves—that means for Anatoly Trubin in this one, fantastic, fantastic performance. And maybe I'm more upbeat just from the fact that I got—we got something out of this, so we can take with us. And goal difference matters, and we only lost one-nil. One of our rivals for that second spot could very well leave the San Siro with the three or four or five-nil drumming, like AC Milan took from this Inter team. So it remains to be seen. Nothing is over. Nothing is dead in the water, realize that, okay, but if you can now have two matches in a row, if I'm not mistaken, they're both against Real Sociedad now, um looking at the the upcoming matches, and they come really quick because again we got we got the cup against Lusitania on the twentieth of October after the break, and then on the twenty fourth we host Real Sociedad, and what is a must win? There is no other option now, real Sociedad winners in uh in Salzburg over uh over Red Bull um and it's funny because what was his name Sch- Sch- Schlegler I think was his name uh the goalkeeper for for RB uh for RB Salzburg did not he looked awful in in the match this week against Real Sociedad so uh we were a little unlucky to catch a team on the wrong night as well but we gotta win the, this one at home against Real Sociedad. And then the next match after that, we travel to Real Sociedad. That's not gonna be easy to go to Basque Country and play against them. Uh four points are a must in these in this double uh in these two rounds coming up, no question. Six would be optimum, but four I think are a minimum if we want to advance. Now, would it be the worst thing in the world if Mefica go into the Europa League? This is, as I understand it, the final year that uh, you can go from the Champions League to the Europa League at this stage. Okay, I believe with the new format, that does not happen after the preliminary rounds starting next year. If, if you could go into the Europa League, they have an opportunity to go far in it. They have a team that will compete in it. It's not where we want to be. It's not where we should be. But I think in the end... If you have the opportunity to avoid last and play for third I think Benfica will will push for that. Um and I don't think it'll be a complete failure if we don't get out of this group with with these three teams. Uh that can uh, that have proven to all be good on their day. But this next uh two matches against Real Sociedad like I said very very important and then after that it is Salzburg before we finish up. On match day 6 at home against Inter, if I'm not mistaken. No, sorry. We have Inter on match day 5 and then Salzburg on match day 6, which is unlucky because I would rather have Inter on match day 6 when they're already qualified. But that's how the cookie crumbled this year. Um, Going down just some of the results in the Champions League this week and this match day 2. Uh, just to, to fill everyone in, in case you missed it. Salzburg lose 2-0 at home to Sociedad Union Berlin up 2-0 to Sporting Braga. But Sporting Braga, how about that? Niakate Bruma, and Kasthru bring them back from the dead. Down 2-0 to win 3-2 at the Olympic Stadium. In Berlin, a historic, historic night and result for Sporting Club Braga. FC Copenhagen and uh, Diogo Gonçalves put up a great fight, but they come up just short, losing 2-1 to Bayern Munich. Inter 1, Bayfica 0, we know that. Lens, the French side, 2-1 winners over Arsenal. What's going on for the Gunners? Manchester United humiliated at home. Losing 3-2 to the Turkish Giants Galatasaray. Napoli lose at the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona. 3-2 to Real Madrid. While PSV Eindhoven and Sevilla play to a 2-2 draw. On Wednesday, Atleti 3-2 winners at home at the Metropolitano over Feyenoord Royal Antwerp. Lose 3-2. At home to Shakhtar Donetsk, making things very nice for our rivals for for Football Club de Porto. What a shock! They got a weak group once again. Uh, they seem to get all the luck in these draws. Dortmund and Milan battle to a nil-nil draw. In Dortmund, Celtic lose two-one at home to Lazio. Porto lose to lose sorry 0-1 at the Dragon to Barcelona. Um, Red Star Belgrade 2-2 draw at home to Young Boys. Newcastle Spank Gonzalo Ramos' PSG side 4-1 at St Andrews, no at at St James Park, excuse me. Uh, goals from Miguel Almirón, the former Atlanta United player. Uh, for Daniel Byrne, for Sean Longstaff, and for Fabian Schar. Uh, big historic uh, return to winning in the Champions League for uh, Newcastle United. And RB Leipzig are beat at home 3-1 to by Manchester City. Uh, the table now, Bayern Munich lead Group A with 6 points. Galatasaray second with 4 Copenhagen with 1 in 3rd in Manchester United. Basement with 2 losses to start the group stage for the first time ever, I believe. Lons lead Group B with 4 points. Arsenal have 3. Sevilla, 2. And PSV, Eindhoven, 1. Real Madrid lead Group C with 6 points. Napoli, 2nd with 3. As is Braga. They both have 4 goals allowed and um, 4 scored. While Union Berlin is in the basement with no points. Real Sociedad lead our group right now uh, with four points. Same number of points as Inter. Just uh, Real Sociedad one goal better in the goal difference category. Salzburg is third right now on three points. And we sit bottom with no points after two matches. Group E. Atletico Madrid with 4 points. Same as Lazio who also have 4 points. Feyenoord 3rd with 3 and Celtic are in last with 0 points. Group F Newcastle leading with 4 points. PSG 2nd with 3. Milan uh, 3rd with 2 and Dortmund in 4th with 1 point. Group G, Man City the defending champions they have 6 points already. Uh, RB Leipzig are 2nd with 3 young boys 3rd with 1 and... I always wish I could pronounce this in Serbian. Is it Crvena, Sveida, or Red Star, Belgrade? Uh, they are fourth with one point. Group H, Barcelona lead. Porto second. Uh, Barcelona have six. Porto have three. Shakhtar Donetsk also with three. And Royal Antwerp have none. All right. And that is it for your Champions League match day two information. And that's it for this episode 172 of Mr. Benfica. Uh, Coming your way up next is going to be Liga 3 English. I'm going to drop that hopefully on Friday sometime. Uh, A little late for this weekend's matches, but we be all caught up after that. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a women's episode after this weekend's match. Uh, And my decision after, as you know, last week I debuted uh, another spinoff. I debuted Mr. Modalidad, where I talk about the... The sports I don't have enough time to talk about on this podcast anymore. Uh, So I thought I would do that. What I think I'm going to do, I'd said it'd be either weekly, bi-weekly or something. I think uh, the best way to do it for now is on weeks where there's no football match midweek. That's when I will do a midweek dodge update. So I think that's how that's going to go. But uh, yeah, so this weekend we've got, like I said, Liga 3 English. Then we've got a... What'll come next will be a recap, most likely, of Benfica and Israel from this coming weekend, and then a women's episode. Uh, they played a league match last week. They had a league cup match on Wednesday, and they got another league match this week. Going into next Wednesday's Champions League qualifier, the last uh, stage, it's the playoff round. First leg is next Wednesday for the girls. So um, I'm going to get that out this. I'm going to try to get that out this weekend as well. All right, that's uh, the schedule coming up your way here on the Mister Benfica podcast uh, feed. Don't forget to go over to my YouTube page. Uh, just search my name if you want, Mike Agustino, or just uh, just um, click the link in the show notes and uh, give it a watch to that. Uh, give a watch to that um, video I put up that blog. Sorry, it's latent, and, and my brain is no longer functioning. Uh, the vlog of my visit to Sport Newark, and Benfica. Alright, everybody. Have a good night. I am out of here. I'm the Mr. Mike Agustinio signing out. Uh, if you like the episode, please give it five stars wherever you listen. Apple, Spotify, wherever. Share it with a friend as well. Uh, share it on your social media. Let's get some more people into this community. Come on. Let's uh, get the podcast out to more people. There are still a lot of Benfica fans out there who speak English. And uh, who don't know about all of these fantastic uh, Benfica podcasts in English. Not just this one. All the other ones as well. So uh, let's all do our part. Let's share them. And let's get the word out. And uh, I'll be back here very soon here on Mr. Benfica. the Mr. Mike Agustino. Signing off for now. Que Benfica. Forza Benfica. If you love football, you love Benfica. Check you next time, guys. Goodbye.